You know, health comes through discipline. A lot of people, especially in today's world, think discipline is limiting. I actually feel like it's totally liberating. You know, by going to bed early, by waking up early, reading, exercising, my body and mind are well-tuned for success. Welcome back to another episode of Everyday Endorphins, a mental health podcast focused on the importance of finding joy and happiness in daily living. I'm your host, Stella Stephanopoulos, and this week I wanted to explore healthy habits as shared by someone directly in the medical community. Something that I really admire about doctors and physicians and especially surgeons is their ability to work under pressure and stay focused in super high stakes environments. And I think there's a lot of lessons we can learn about staying healthy physically and mentally from someone who actually works in the health and wellness space. So I'm so thrilled to have Dr. Ryan Neinstein on the podcast this week to talk about all of his healthy habits and his perspective of health and wellness as a board certified plastic surgeon. He has an absolutely beautiful practice on the Upper East Side in New York City, which is where we had the opportunity to do our interview in person a few months ago. In this episode, Dr. Ryan talks a little bit about his passion for medicine, why he specifically wanted to get into plastics, his famous surgery called the Mommy Makeover, how he developed it, what it intends to do for moms and how it helps boost their confidence after childbirth, and the ways in which our physical appearance can really impact our mental health and our well-being. I am so excited for you guys to hear this episode, but before we dive right into it, reminder to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever listening platform you prefer, and follow along Everyday Endorphins on Instagram, TikTok, and obviously tune along to the podcast on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your shows to stay up to date with future episodes, Everyday Endorphins events, and more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, Dr. Ryan. Thank you so much for coming on to Everyday Endorphins. Stella, thank you so much for coming to visit us today to do this live. I'm eternally grateful, and we can't wait to get going here. This is a beautiful office, first of all. Like, walking in, you feel so, like, peaceful and at ease. And I think a lot of people are, like, stressed to go to the doctors because it's not a very inviting environment. But I can tell that everything here is really intentionally like placed and presented so that patients feel like welcomed and calm. Part of the reason I opened my own place, I had my own vision was that, you know, I go away from the status quo. Healthcare should happen for you, not to you. All the normal things that always bothered me about a doctor's office, we've completely removed. It should be a warm, welcoming, you know, nice environment that people want to be at. Yeah. not have to be at. And that goes from the patients to the staff. We try to create an environment where the staff want to be here. I want to talk more about how you got interested in the medical field. And to give you some context, I, for the longest time, 
wanted to pursue medicine, actually. I went to Washington University in St. Louis and initially applied as a biology major. And then I ever never actually ended up pursuing like the pre-med track, but I ended up studying like a combination of philosophy, neuroscience and psychology. So I was always really passionate about health and wellness, but never actually made it to the point of becoming a physician. So can you walk my listeners through your journey of entering the medical space? Sure. On a global picture, I want people to know medicine is a noble pursuit. It's one of the greatest decisions I've ever ever made in my life. You have to be able to have delayed gratification. And most things in life that are great, you need to be able to think of in decades, not months, not weeks, not years. So it's hard for a lot of people to think of the positive being 20 years away. You know, I'm 20 years basically in school from high school until I get to a point where I get to do the thing I actually set out to do. So that takes a certain type of person and you got to be wired in a certain way. But let me tell you a little bit about my journey. So I grew up in, Tr- in Toronto, Canada, and I'm the grandchild of Holocaust survivors. So it was woven into my DNA to seek a life of purpose and a life of meaning and to provide service to others. This was not something that was suggested. This was, you know, ingrained. Having limits and discipline and seeking something of meaning. As I was growing up, science became something that made sense to me. The concreteness of it, the ability to, you know, read textbooks, answer questions, and there not being any objective, essentially no objectiveness to it. And when you combine that with the competitive sports, I always played competitive rugby. When you take the the competitive sport aspect and my interest in science and, you know, seeking a life of purpose, you know, medicine becomes a natural field. Um, and early on in medical school, I loved, I fell in love with the operating room, everything about it from, you know, the lights, the sounds and the ability to make meaningful impact quickly on someone's life. And so, you know, being a surgeon became something that I knew I wanted to do. I did my general surgery, I had plastic surgery in Canada. I came to New York to do subspecialty training in aesthetic surgery. I fell in love not just with the American culture um, and spirit, but with New York itself. So I uh, never turned back and never went home and met my beautiful wife. And we have two beautiful children. And we love living um, in New York City. And, uh, you know, as the song says, we want to be a part of it. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And I have to ask, my dad played rugby in college. And I feel like his body is just like screwed up now just from how aggressive that sport is. So how did you actually take care of yourself being a rugby player? Well, I think when you're forced in whatever pursuit where there's, you know, whether it's anything physical, where there's a price to pay if you are not disciplined and a price to pay if you're not always thinking and strategizing. And that helps me in later in life because I was always disciplined, strategized, and prepared. And um, yeah, never really had any injuries. <laughs> Good for you. I feel like in rugby, especially, it's such an intense sport that it's easy to like get injured. Um, and that, of course, can really affect like how you so play. Some people are drawn into the intensity. They're drawn to the fire. You know, I operate on people every day. I live for it. Yeah, that's what motivates you. It's not an adrenaline junkie. I like intensity. I like something, things that matter, things with consequences. You're not all in. Another thing that I really related to when you were speaking about 
uh, what drew you into science and medicine was how it's very factual. And something that I really loved about like the neuroscience part of my studies and my major was that I could think about this question on like what drives human behavior, what motivates people from like this bottom up approach where you're looking at like the the neuroscience level at the cellular level, you can actually understand like the mechanisms that drive maybe these psychological principles and then more broadly these philosophical theories. And so that's what I found to be really interesting, like how those three areas intersected. But speaking more to science in the field of medicine, um, there's something, I guess, so like liberating to actually have answers. But as a doctor, I think a lot of, and I'd love for you to speak more to this, but my impression is that doctors have to also like ask these really inquisitive questions and they're they're uncovering some sort of truth like through science and through medicine so how do you navigate maybe like some of those ambiguities or uncertainties as a doctor i personally think in life people who can navigate gray areas are always the most successful because most things in life if not everything is a gray area and the ability to understand you know human behavior is something we're all seeking and we all you know, lack that ability. So how do we uncover things that are ambiguous? Well, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. You could read How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. It's about 80 years old. It's one of the main book of the month clubs we have here. He would talk in there, one of the main tenets of that book. It's not just walk a mile in someone's shoes, but like, can you really try to see the world through the lens of someone else? That's the key to understanding ambiguity. Just because you have a disagreement or or a difference in opinion or you're unsure of something, why someone did or said something, if you can ask the questions that will lay the foundation for you actually having some sense of perception of the world, the lens which they see the world, that will help you. So I really focus on trying to understand the person to understand the thought process. Luckily, and this comes into play a lot, in aesthetics, people's desires, what they're seeking in their change, in their change in their body, and why they're seeking. You know, you want those two thought processes to be mutually aligned. Because if there's a discongruity, you know, if they want to look a certain way for the wrong reason, or they want to look the wrong way for the right reason, that doesn't work. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that, actually? Because I think it also ties into something that I want to touch on later in the podcast, more specifically around the work that you do as a plastic surgeon and um, the ability to really boost your patient's confidence levels. You know, when people are seeking aesthetic surgery in today's age, especially in our practice, you know, we're looking to work with patients, you know, who have emotional control, stability in their life. They're not going through a major divorce, job change, big move. You know, stability is key for the psyche and any change to the body, you know, as Nietzsche said, you know, the mind thinks through the body. So any change to the body is going to affect the mind. And if you don't remember that, you know, philosophy from our favorite German philosopher, you know, you're going to get into trouble with patients. So it's always important to remember that the body flows, you know, the mind flows through the body. So things have to stay in line. You want to make sure patients are stable and in a good place and are, you know, generally happy in the sense that, like, they're very happy with themselves. And they know there's some limitations, physical, structural, genetic, from pregnancy or a disease that's just holding them back. And they're not asking you to do something that's unattainable. 
Yeah, that's such a good point. Like coming at it from the right reasons and first of all, just having some sort of baseline happiness and contentment with yourself. Because I think especially in today's culture, kids growing up around social media or just social media kind of plaguing our every day, no matter what age you are, it's so easy to fall into this comparison trap. Like, I want to look like this person online or I want to be thinner or, you know, whatever the motivation or the desire is. So how do you ensure that the patients that you see are coming from this like grounded point of view or, or mental state? By doing a few things for very few specific reasons. Like the operation I'm most known for or most commonly is the mommy makeover are like helping women fix changes to their bodies from their babies. Most of them have never had plastic surgery. They're incredibly, you know, content, happy, successful uh, women with multiple children but their bodies have gone through physical and structural changes. They want to change that for the right reasons. They're, I never hear from these type of patients. Um, you know, I saw this Instagram picture. I want to look like her. I want to look like that. It's, you know, I can't get rid of this skin that's been stretched and torn. My muscles don't work because they've been stretched and torn. My breasts have been deflated because they've been stretched and torn. I would really like to reverse those changes so I can get a sense of self, sense of self that I had pre-babies and enjoy my life with my husband going forward where I can feel comfortable, confident, especially, you know, feeling naked, being interested in, again, putting on certain types of clothing to go on date night. It's like nobody wants a tummy tuck, but everyone wants to feel sexy on date night. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. But in terms of um, a lot of other things I see in the media, I totally stay out of all of that, like fads, this, that, the other. Well, there's so much noise on social media. Part of my like wellness philosophy, which comes from like the stoic philosophy is always like limit your inputs. Like when you have a wealth of information, you have a poverty of attention. So I just really make limiting my inputs, limiting my outputs. Like we are, when I, we send out the same message all day, every day. My practice is all in Number one, on patient experience, we want patients to feel loved, cared for, not just before and at surgery, but for the rest of their life from our practice and our staff. That's it. We have a very few number of procedures that we do. We care a lot about each other who work here, and we care a lot about the patients. We are not jumping on fads. We really limit our inputs. You know, our patients come from around the world, but they're all very similar. People are attracted to people like them. We don't have this, like, you know, we have people, you know, of literally of all, you know, shapes and sizes from all over the planet, but they share such common, you know, the Venn diagram of, like, emotional um, traits are, like, all overlapping. Yeah. And literally from, you know, India to Paris to Nebraska, you could put all these people together and they would, like, be best of friends. You know, one of the things I'm most proud of is, like, we have patients who are, like, a lot of our patients are, like, evangelists for us. Like they're out there meeting others because they have similar, you know, at different restaurants, events, bar mitzvahs, weddings. And like they share in the joy of like, you know, how they feel. And that's the real, that's marketing. You know, we can come up with whatever clever saying you want and billboards, but like we don't do any of that. We create evangelists. We want people to go out there and spread the word because they want to. And that comes from a place of passion and compassion. And that's why people want to have surgery here. Can you talk a little bit more about what specifically got you interested in pursuing plastic surgery? 
a good amount of my friends in college who pursued pre-med or like now just entering med school. And from what I've heard, they've changed their mind like so many times with what kind of medicine they want to practice. So how did you ultimately land on plastic surgery? The algorithm that I went through is I wanted to help people and I like science. So I went into medicine. When I went into medicine, I just wanted to become a really good doctor. And then I liked surgery and I wanted to go into different types. You know, I I had to pick which type of surgery. Plastic surgery has a unique thing where people um, come to you you know, the walking well, you know, they don't need it. They want it. They're committed. They care. And we actually have this unique thing where we can help people be better than where they came in. Most procedures in, in, in surgery, best case scenario is you're, you know, at baselines. You have a disease, a trauma, an infection, and you're just trying to reverse that. And you didn't want to be there in the first place. So we have this unique aspect where people choose to come to see us. Yeah, that's a really good point, and I've never actually thought about it that way. So maybe it makes the work more meaningful, perhaps. Well, no, I don't want to say that it's not meaningful to take care of cancer patients or trauma patients. Um, It's just something that spoke to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when when your heart and mind tell you something, you got to listen to it. You know, I also want to talk a little bit about your wellness philosophy at large and how your perspective of health and wellness perhaps may have been influenced by pursuing medicine. So can you share with my listeners just, first of all, how you define what it means to be healthy? Sure. To me, you know, health comes through discipline. And I know I say this often and we talk about it a lot. A lot of people, especially in today's world, think discipline is limiting and constraining I actually feel like it's totally liberating. You know, by going to bed early, by waking up early, reading, exercising, my body and mind are well-tuned for success. I'm not burdened with like stress or anxiety of the things that occupy a lot of other people's lives. You know, through discipline, I know where I'm going to be and know how I'm going to do it. It's not for everyone to get up at four in the morning and, and read and get your mind right, and then get to the gym. But to me, discipline has been the most liberating thing. It allows me to show up every day for work and surgery, knowing I'm mentally and physically in this, you know, zen-like state where I'm absolutely prepared for surgery and excited for the opportunity to do my craft. It's interesting that you mentioned discipline because that's something that I, I think I really learned about as a rower, actually, just being in a very disciplined and rigorous sport. So that really taught me the value of discipline. And when you can have that trait, you, it can permeate into the behaviors that you choose to exhibit to lead a healthier life. It is very difficult to have the discipline to go to bed early and to wake up early. When you do get into a very regimented routine that promotes health and wellness in yourself you like give your space your body and your mind like space for gratitude space for growth space for greatness you can really limit all that external noise you know i I really find seeking stillness limiting your inputs and discipline like that will put you in a place where you can accomplish things that you could never thought you could accomplish yeah what would you say are some of your strategies that you've used to build more discipline into your life? I mean, going to bed early, 
and waking up early is, you know, just a classic. It allows, you know, if you, when that alarm goes off at four, you know, if you get, if you put your foot on the floor without hitting the snooze, you've already, you know, won. Like it's four in the morning and you've already had a win, okay? And then, so now you're already off to the races, okay? Once you hit that snooze, you, you're, it's a negative, it's a loss, okay? So like, I don't think I've ever hit a snooze in my life because I am not starting my day on a negative. The other things, you know, I have found incredible relationships with books. I mean, I have a deep dive, you know, I know, you know, Harry Truman said, not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. I'm enamored with not just like the modern self-help books, but the stories from history I could read from sunup to sundown. I, that's something, it gives me a lot of strength knowing that everything I have been through, someone has been through a thousand times over a thousand years, and it gives me perspective. You know, don't let success go to your head and don't let failure go to your heart, and this too shall pass. This too shall pass is actually one of my favorite quotes. And remember, the obstacle is the way, and you can't control the outside world. Like, really, releasing the fact, you know, bad things are gonna happen to you. People are going to say things. People are going to do things. There's going to be treachery. You know, there's going to be lies. You can't control it. Yeah. And once you just acknowledge that, you realize it doesn't matter. I think it's also a Buddhist principle as well, like relinquishing control and not having attachment to things, like practicing this principle of non-attachment. You can't control the outside world, but you can't control the way you respond to it. And emotional control is probably, emotional and impulse control is probably the number one defining characteristic of a leader, if someone asks me. Because so many times in a day, things are going to happen to you of the exact opposite that you would have liked. And if you fly off the handle you're going to go down a spiral that takes you to an outcome that's going to be negative. Well, then I think there's practices like mindfulness meditation to help you better control and regulate your emotions so you're, you you don't have that reactivity to when things happen in ways that you don't expect or you don't plan for. So just question, do you wake up every morning whether or not you're operating like at 4 a.m.? So when I'm operating, it's about 4, 4.30, and when I'm not operating, it's about 5. And so after you're waking up is the next thing that you do working out? I always read. Got to get the mind going before the body. Yeah. I like to turn that engine on. I don't, I wouldn't want someone showing up to operating on me if they haven't, you know, stimulated their brain before. Because mm -hmm. I want you firing critical thinking, have your reflexes sharp. I want everything happening at full speed. And, you know, you don't start hitting full speed halfway through an operation. You gotta be ready to go. I mean, I really believe you need two, two and a half, three hours before you operate. We operate at seven. I don't want a surgeon rolling out of bed and the first thing they do is, you know, hey, what are we doing today? You know, none of that. You need to like mentally prepare yourself. You wake up early, Yeah. you read. How long do you typically read for? Maybe like half an hour. Then I try to clear my inbox as quickly as I can and then it's off to the gym. Then it's off to the gym. What do you like to do to stay active? Well, I have a personal trainer that we meet basically every day. 6 a.m. maybe or before? 5.20. So we do that for about 35, 40 minutes. That's a quick shower and change and I'm out the door and then I go visit my patients. You know, while we're tip of the spear, modern techniques and technology, our core principles, old world doctoring. We go and visit our patients. We see them at home, house calls every single day. So this is the days that you're not operating in the morning? No, before I operate. We go see our patients who've had surgery the day before. That's real medicine, by the way. You go see the patient. Like you don't need technology. 
but it's one of the benefits in New York City. I know it's not practical everywhere. You know, that's why we, most of our patients are staying in a hotel or whatever, you know, within a few blocks. Go see them. Check the incisions. Talk to them. See how they're doing. How's your pain? How's your ambi- Are you going to the bathroom? What's your diet like? Like, Well, from a patient perspective, yeah. you ne- it, it's so comforting, I can imagine, to really feel that care and like those bedside manners, I guess. Old world, old school, and all that matters. So after you make your rounds, you see your patients, then it's operating. How long do some of your procedures like typically last? So we never go over six hours. Safety guidelines say six hours is the cutoff. So I'm like a five-hour guy. And how do you stay focused during such a high-stakes, intense environment? Like, what's your routine? How do you get yourself mentally ready to be in the operating room? Just trained. I mean, like someone who runs five miles every day. You know, the person who's never run five miles, it can't understand how you could run five miles every day. But once you've been doing it 5,000 times, that's your norm and if you stray from that you feel like something is off like when I'm on vacation I feel like something is weird so it's kind of like rinse and repeat you've done it so many times at this point where it's second nature for you but at least when you were first starting out like how did you build that you build endurance you know at the beginning you know long surgery is hard and then it gets easier yeah and I guess there's very much like a protocol and procedure that you follow so it's like second nature at this point you know a lot of the technique a lot of the procedures we do we write scientific papers on guidelines textbooks it's very systematic like we want things to be ordered there's not as much creativity in surgery as people want Um, it should be more engineering than art in my opinion and the reason I like the systems processes is it allows us to measure things and it as you know in business, if it's not measured, it's not done. So we can measure everything, which means we can tweak everything. You know, one of the keys to being a surgeon, if someone asks you every month, like every month you should be able to say for your whole career that you're doing something different in an operation. I'm not saying about, you know, completely changing everything, but like if you're not evolving from your, maybe it's your pre-op, you're changing the medications or how many days you don't want them to drink alcohol or how much, the preoperative diet, vitamins, mineral supplements, post-op, massages, intravenous therapy, ozone therapy, whatever you're doing. If you're not changing things to try to find a better way, I mean, you know, it's, I can't even wrap my head around that concept. But that's why we hyper-specialize here. You know, I want all this intellectual inertia of all these doctors and nurses thinking about the 100 steps of like the three operations we do and how do we improve each of those 100 steps. As the, as the island of knowledge grows, so does the shore of ignorance. You know, the more you know, you know, the harder things get. But you got to lean into that friction. It's surgery. You know, people travel all over the world. They want, they're, they're showing up. They want the best. Like, I like the pressure. I, you know, we always say in our office, pressure is a privilege. Yeah, and you and I guess and for you 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 thrive under that pressure. A hundred percent. Pressure is a privilege. A hu- like, I can't imagine a world where I'm not being pressed to do better every single day. To me, that's just wasting away. I mean, I think also pressure can, to an extent, it can keep you like focused, sharp, and it can keep pushing you to be the best version of yourself um, and to keep performing to like the optimal level. We talked a little bit about really your perspective on health and and wellness and staying healthy and staying fit and active, but I want to shift gears and talk a little bit more about your perspective on happiness. So as you know, and as a lot of my listeners know, 
Everyday Endorphins talks about, you know, the importance of finding things in life that bring you happiness and joy. And, you know, throughout the course of my life, I've started to recognize how nuanced health is and how related our physical health is to our mental health. Like you mentioned earlier, um, when you were talking about the motivations behind surgery, like if you alter your body, that's going to alter your mental state, like the physical and, and and the mental are so interconnected. So with that being said, how would you define your philosophy on happiness? So happiness to me is not material goods. Happiness is not accumulation of wealth or accumulation of things or even, you know, awards. Simple, you know, the ability to improve others' lives, the service of others, and making a meaningful impact on others' lives is the delta change in happiness for me. When you see your team members, your employees becoming more educated, more sophisticated, more fit, more red. Everything in their life is getting better because of what you're doing for them or with them. That's happiness. When you see your children grow up when you, you know, and they're doing it happily and healthily because of the things you do for them. When you see the things, the way your patients feel about themselves because of what you did for them. So to me, happiness is the ability to help others. Yeah. And the more you help others, by the way, if, if everyone just helped everyone, <laughs> I mean, I know it sounds be corny. In a great world. <laughs> you know, can't, ego is the enemy. Yeah. It always has been, it always will be. So, and if you can fight that, you'll have a more happy life. At what point did you realize it was really the sense of altruism? And well, I, I think altruism is a tough word because it implies you're not taking anything back. Mm-hmm. Because you know what, it's okay to be a doctor and be reimbursed, like paid to like help people feel better about themselves. Because you have to understand, we live in a world where like you have to buy goods and services, food and shelter. Like, (laughs) but you can, at the same time, as you're doing something that you know provides for your family, help others. Effective altruism, altruism, whatever buzzword you want to use, I don't think it applies. Like, you can always, you know, do things that have mutual benefits. So at what point did you realize that really like the key to happiness, I guess, in your words is is through helping others, which also has the cyclical effect because it's also helping yourself. It's giving you that sense of happiness and, and feelings of of just joy in your life. Well, I think what I really found was with as my team grew, as our employees grew, you know, I never really taken care of anyone that was like outside of a patient or a family member. Um, and then you become, you know, essentially responsible for a lot of people's lives. And when you make these positive, meaningful impacts on their lives, it's amazing the feelings of joy you get. Pure joy, not, you know, endorphin rush from whatever, race cars, whatever you want to do to release your serotonin and dopamine. This is pure, long-lasting joy that's, like, unadulterated. And it's unbelievable. And I think we also tend to seek like the quick fixes like we're looking for those immediate pleasures rather than the delayed gratification and i think there's also this really big misconception as well on happiness where we're, we're often just chasing those quick fixes but instead not giving ourselves the patience and time to experience true happiness that will actually be sustained in the longer term well marcus Aurelius said those without purpose seek pleasure so when you see people, you know, partying all the time because they're hiding from, you know, finding something of meaningful value in their life to do because it's a lot of work and not everyone likes the work. If you can get 
through it, the, the other side of it will be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. And I think, you know, it's interesting you say that, how it's a lot of work. And one of my goals with the show is to create a space where people don't see that as work, but instead is something really exciting to experience, like something that they want to lean into. When you have work love and love for the people you do and love for what you're doing, things are like you're emotionally and spiritually balanced. It's, and the hours it takes, is, it becomes irrelevant. Work life becomes imbalanced when you don't have a sense of autonomy, you're not respected, you're not evaluated, then again, the number of hours don't matter. It becomes, there's an imbalance. Yeah, someone actually on my show, uh, I interviewed a former um, executive at JP Morgan and she talked about how she doesn't like this concept around work-life balance. It's in her mind actually work-life integration. So finding ways to kind of combine both. It's also on a paradigm, it's on a sliding scale at different points in your life. I give up my social life. Too bad. I'm okay with it. So we didn't even talk about what time you go to bed if you're waking up. Nine, nine thirty. Nine and nine thirty. And what's your like wind down nighttime routine? No, I read to my son. You know, Cat in the Hat, all that, all those good books. Then we go to bed. And how do you balance being a surgeon and also having a family? A, there's nothing better. You know, I know people talk about different athletes or other, you know, high performance people that having relationships get in the way. I think like a loving relationship is the way. Nothing gets in the way. I mean, you have to have a partner that understands. You have to create a world where balance is what works for you. There's no there's no rules. And your wife is also very much in the health and wellness space. She's a fitness instructor. Mm-hmm. So it's like the nicest, happiest most fun person you will ever meet. I have to ask, how did the two of you meet? On a yoga retreat in Nicaragua. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. And and what happened after that? <laughs> we're, we're engaged within a few months. Like, you know, it was a classic love story. We met someone, connected, and like we knew we just wanted to spend the rest of our lives together. And, we, you know, we didn't have to like, it wasn't really much nonsense or, you know, BS. Wow. Well, I feel like if it's easy, then that's... It's the right way. Yeah, listen, nothing's easy, but you know, you need to have a little bit of friction. You gotta crack a few eggs to make an omelet. But <laughs> <laughs> that's a good saying. I also, um, I have my certification in yoga actually, and I went to Bali to do my teacher training, which was. Yeah, I don't do yoga anymore. I went there to meet girls, and I did it. So that's, <laughs> that's it. Done. Bye. <laughs> that was your intention to go to the <laughs> strategy. This is like next level. Okay, this is not like uh, everyone else is playing checkers. I'm playing chess. <laughs> Well, I mean, what other, what better way, honestly, to meet some people than right. than to go on a yoga retreat, which is probably going to be predominantly women on that retreat, um, in a scenic place. But aside from of the story of how you met your wife, tying back into this theme of of happiness and and purposeful living, the central question that I ask every guest that comes onto the show, Doctor Ryan, is really around like finding things in life that bring joy. So. My final question to you is what is something that brings you a bit of endorphins every day? For me, it's, you know, when I get home, open the door and I see my children smile and knowing when I look at them that I gave everything and that I gave everything I had that day to the world in the most honest, virtuous way that I represented them in a proud manner. That is like my endorphin rush. I love that. That's such a special special way to get your your daily boost of endorphins. (laughs) 
where can my followers connect with you and just follow along everything that you're doing? Oh, of course. We You can follow me at Dr. Neinstein on Instagram. Check us out at 19plasticsurgery.com or drop on in for West 58th on the 12th floor. It's where the dreams are made overlooking Central Park right next to the plaza. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Everyday Endorphins. If you liked what you heard, make sure to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever platform you prefer. You can also follow along the Everyday Endorphins Instagram account to stay up to date with episodes, future events, and all things related to mental health, well-being, and happiness. Don't forget to keep spreading endorphins and find things in life that bring you joy every day. Until next time. Thank you.